Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the 5th of October. Ben Dobbin with you this morning across the Resonate Broadcast Network. A massive show for you this morning. Worker shortage at abattoirs. It is a huge issue. We can't get cattle killed. This morning, David Littleproud will join us about what is happening and what we don't know and how we fix this situation, which is sending the industry into a freefall. Good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Jalable, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. If you've missed any of our shows, we're on Spotify. You can get in contact with me at bendobbin.com at Rural Queensland today. You can get in contact with me anytime you like. Go to our Facebook page, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. It is all there. So much more to get through this morning. Annabelle Braley will look at the markets and much, much more. But David Littleproud joins us next, and we should be concerned. This is a huge issue and one that I want to address and focus on as we march towards the end of the year. And obviously, we are, from a season's perspective, in a hell of a mess. Rural Queensland Today, David Littleproud joins us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Thursday morning, the 5th of October. Ben Dobbin with you across Rural Queensland Today. David Littleproud joins us this morning and we are seeing um, the industry and the beef industry at the moment on its knees. I'm not trying to scare tactic anything and, and the biggest issues are around trying to get a kill at an abattoir, trying to get your cattle to the works and where this market will land. He is the leader of the National Party. He's the former Agricultural Minister of Australia. He knows this industry back to front. David, good morning. Thank you so much. I'm talking to you from Charleville this morning. Great to have you on the phone. I I appreciate uh, how busy you are, and thanks so much for giving us some time. Yeah, thanks for for having me, mate. But um, look, it is tough out there at the moment, and and our abattoirs are doing it tough. I mean, they're working somewhere between 60 and 70% capacity, uh, and that's because they simply don't have the workers. Well, and this is we the biggest sort- issue. This is, David, yeah. this is the biggest issue. I got a text message yesterday of a, of a bloke in, in, in desperation, and I'm not going to declare who it was that it, it was actually there. He said, when is the government going to look at the process about getting more workers so we can kill more cattle? And that is coming yeah. from someone who owns a meat company who is killing cattle and cannot get enough kill space. There is not enough workers at every single abattoir at the present moment. Now, I re- reached out to Patrick Hutchinson this morning. He's on a plane. He can't. He's not available. <coughs> but I'm talking to him tomorrow. And Amy can say whatever they want. But I can tell you now that, that, that there is a shortage of workers. We've got all these overseas workers that want to come here yet we will not bring them to this country. Our kill space, we're running at 60%. I think you were generous saying 70%. I think it's 60%, 55% capacity, and the market is free-falling. It is literally free-falling. Well, well, this is where Amic does need to say something. They're the ones that went to the Jobs and School Summit back in September last year, as I did. I wanted to say, well, I'm at least trying to be constructive. I'm giving the government ideas. We're in opposition now. Uh, but AMIC need to step up and they need to say loudly that this government is failing. They signed a tripartite agreement with the unions and with the, with the government about fixing this in September last year. And in fact, um, the only solution that this government has allowed anyone to bring 
because the unions will only allow them to bring, is the Pacific Scheme. Now, the Pacific Scheme has worked well for for the processing sector. It doesn't work well for the horticulture sector because they've taken away averaging provisions. But elect- effectively, all they could bring in was 42,000 workers. Now, since September last year, all they've brought in is 16,000 workers. Now, that same Jobs and Skills Summit that AMIC was at and I was at, NFF was at, and COSBOA, who represents small business as well, they made an assessment that they needed 172,000 extra workers to get food from a paddock to your plate. And all this government has been able to bring in was 16,000 workers extra since then, less than 10%, uh, and effectively they've got rid of the ag visa, the ag visa that we put in place that Vietnam signed up to and then subsequently, which we found out through Senate estimates, that there were other ASEAN countries that after the election came forward to Penny Wong and said, we want to sign up to the ag visa. We actually think this is a good thing now. We want to send our workers, despite what the AWU did and demonise Australian agriculture and went to every embassy. Now, get this, every every embassy that we were negotiating with, had a call from Daniel Walton and the Australian Workers' Union, and he personally told them not to sign up to the ag visa because their workers would be exploited by Australian farmers and the processing sector. Now, what Australian organisation does that to their own country? He demonised their own reputation, destroyed it. Destroyed internationally, it. Destroyed and, it. And, 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 and look, they, they were scared. And effectively, then they realised, hey, this isn't as bad as what the AWU's talking about. They went to Penny Wong and said, let's send our people over for the ag visa. And Penny Wong turned them down. So this is all because the unions are riding high up in the stirrups and the, and the processing sector isn't allowed to bring workers in. So, you know, AMIC needs a grower seed here. I'm sorry. I'm, I've really had a gut for AMIC. They were throwing punches at us every day of the week about bringing getting workers in. But they have done nothing. They have done nothing to this government about holding them to account by bringing workers in. They've just wiped their hands and said, oh, yeah, no, we've got a Labor government now. No, sorry. They've got to actually stand up for the, for the sector. They've got to stand up and say we need more workers and this government isn't doing enough. I haven't heard boo from them. They're carrying the corner. They signed the, tried, signed the tripartite agreement with the government and the unions. And now they're in bed with them. Well, now they're copying the consequence, but we're all copying the consequence. And this is where there is a fix to this. We've got an unemployment rate with a three in front of it. There is no way in the world you're going to get Australians into an abattoir at the moment. So the only people you can get into it are foreigners. And we said, let's bring foreigners over here. Let's bring them to regional Australia. Let's give them a pathway to permanent residency. That is the greatest gift that the Australian can give to any citizen around the world is a pathway to permanent residency. If you live in, in regional Australia, if you work in agriculture, this government makes took so much sense. It makes This well, makes so much sense. Like, everybody I speak to can't get workers. Like, I, and, yeah. I, and I mean it. And it wasn't just processing. It wasn't, it wasn't just, just processing. Process. Everybody, every single person. And there are good families and good people that want to come here. They're not going to get exploited. They're just not. Now no, I can and, tell you now. Look, I can tell you now. If you want to, if you want to see where people are getting exploited, you're getting nannies from overseas that are living with you that are working full time that are getting paid absolutely tuppence. Now the government don't care about that. They don't get. They don't no. give a crap about that. 
but we can actually. IWU just yeah. took a yeah. IWU just took a, a dislike to agriculture. Yeah, but 100%. where is AMIC? They signed this tripartite agreement twelve months ago. Where, where? And I've got to say, look, Patrick has has worked hard, but what has he done? What has he said? No one has heard boo. And I've got to say, the NFF was the same. I mean, people pay these membership fees to all these representative bodies. They have all the courage in the world when a coalition government's there, but they cower in a corner as soon as Labor gets in and goes, oh, we don't want to upset them. Well, look what they're doing to us. They're destroying Australian agriculture, whether it's taking away the ag visa, whether it's destroy the live sheep industry in Western Australia, whether it be the Murray-Darling, whether it be the, the biosecurity tax, the fresh food tax they're putting on you. And yet our peak bodies are carrying a corner. Like, I don't know why you feed them. Someone, Why would you pay a membership amount to any of these groups if they don't have the courage of their conviction to stand up no matter who the political party is in government. But this government is destroying us and I've got to say unless unless these peak bodies start to have a voice, I'm just a redneck nap from Western Queensland. No one's going to hear me in, in, in the in capital cities. Uh, but it's these peak bodies that have the, the currency and if they're not prepared to do it, well why pay a membership? Yeah, I agree. So, David, can I ask some questions here? If if we're allowed 42,000 workers, if that's the number that we've been given from the Pacific Scheme, and that's all well and good, and there is hundreds of thousands of jobs that we need, 172,000 that they were given, why have we only got 16,000? Why is the process? I, I get 42,000 still not enough. But by simple maths, if you need 42,000, you've only got 16, there's a big shortfall there. Why have we not even seen those workers through here yet? Well, and this is the issue. You've got to understand that the 42,000 workers that the Pacific caps out at isn't just for agriculture. This is the crazy thing. This is what I went to the Jobs and Skills Summit said, is that the 42,000 workers that the Pacific can provide, we have to compete with childcare, healthcare, aged care. Jeez. It wasn't just for agriculture. So where are the workers going to come from? If, if This is what I don't understand. Without, like, more work, more production, more economy, more money, more taxes. Like, it's a very – and I'm not smart in this area. I'm, I don't understand the economics of it, but it's a pretty easy solution to look at. The more people we have working in the economy, the more money that's generated from the businesses, the more wages are paid, the more taxes are paid, the more the government gets in. Like, it's – Yep. A simple, it, it is as simple as this, except we're like, no, 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 we're protecting our jobs and our workers. Well, well hang on. Well, this is because the unions have yeah. said so, mate. The yeah, unions is, have come the from problem. this. Yeah, the unions are screwing us. So anybody... Well, the unions are running the government. This is the problem. So you only need to go to the Jobs and Skills Summit. September last year, I sat in the Great Hall of Parliament House. I gritted my teeth. I went there and represented Australian agriculture, even though I'm in opposition. And you could see the CFMEU stand there and say, this is our time, we want payback. And this government is giving payback. And, and AMIC and NFF all signed up to this tripartite agreement that we're, oh, we all play nice together. We'll all sing Kumbaya. But the only way to get workers, the 172,000 workers that the NFF themselves identified, is not through the Pacific scheme. And I knew that when I was there. That's why we got the ag visa. And I had to fight with people like Maurice Payne who didn't believe in it, and told the Liberals that unless we got it, the Nationals were out. Um, effectively, we knew that we needed more workers and we had to get them through other means, through Southeast Asia. And the Pacific, it was all about making sure that they were happy with us because of the challenges of China. But let me tell you, the challenges of China, not just in the Pacific, it's also in Southeast Asia. Why wouldn't we make friends with Indonesia, 
Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines. Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea. Like seriously. And this is the thing. We, we, we simply, we simply um, have got this ideological view because of the unions and we don't have peak bodies that have the courage of their conviction all the way through. And I'm sorry, but, you know, um, this is what you pay for. When you pay your membership, I, I'd say to people, I mean, the NFF, I have, I represent more farmers as a member for Maranoa than the NFF does in membership. Uh, and, and that's an indictment on them. Uh, and this is where we well, need Well, why do they have so body. much say? Why, why has our peak body got so much power? Yet well, they've got we, the currency of the, of the name, but this is where people need to take control of those organisations. They need to make sure that those representatives are doing exactly what they're asking them to do, no matter the, the colour of the, of the party in government, and make sure that they're pushing through on the policies they want. And I stood there and I fought for that ag visa and I got it and I made sure that we, we I wasn't going to sign up to a, a, a UK free trade agreement unless we got an ag visa. I told Scott Morrison, I said, I'm not signing up to it, mate. Then he needed my signature on the piece of paper. So unless I get an ag visa, mate, the nats are out. And he had to relent. He didn't He didn't understand it and, and eventually had to give in. But the NFF wanted it. But as soon as Labor gets in, he patted Murray. They pat Murray what on the back and say, "Yeah, Murray, well, well, you don't want us to have one, so we're not going to have it." There is no courage of their conviction. AMIC needs to stand up. They all need to stand up and go feral on this government yeah. and say to the Australian people, "You are going to destroy an industry unless you provide us with the tools we need, which are the workers we need, and we can't get them all from Australia. We need them from overseas, and let's have a sensible policy about that." Yeah, that, that, that to me is uh, the only way forward. David Littleproud, our guest this morning on Rural Queensland Today. We'll take a break and come back with more. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. David Littleproud, our guest this morning on Rural Queensland Today. We've got a situation, we're talking to him from Charleville, where we're still getting closer. We're a week and a half from the referendum. And it just – look, I don't know. I don't think it gets up. I, I, I genuinely – I'm a no voter. I've said this on record. Um, I have looked at everything. I 100% believe in recognition. I absolutely yep. think in, in acknowledgement. But the, the, the dog's breakfast that they've gone – the way they've gone around this and it being rushed through and the way that they've handled this, even with – trying to get celebrities to give them some influence, it, it, it's embarrassed me. They talk about that this will divide. I think it already has divided the country. I think they've like that. what they've done is they've tried to bully. It, it, it's very much like the unions, that they want to control everything. And I think off the back of it, it, it it's highlighted what we're dealing with in government. Um, and it, from a federal state perspective, I think that, it, 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 it's sickening, and I don't know where next week lands, David. Um, you would have a better indication. I don't think it gets up, but I yeah, don't think it, it's been be sold. Tough, I don't yeah. think it's been sold. I don't think it's been sold well. Well, well, there's the, it's, it's the product they're trying to sell, and this is the product. Is Anthony Albanese can't explain the detail because he doesn't want to give the detail. Uh, and, and if he did, he, he controls the parliament. He says, "Well, the parliament will decide what the." what the voice will look like. Well, the last time I looked, he controls the parliament. He has the majority. It's not it'll be kumbaya and we sit around in parliament, he'll decide what it looks like. The majority will decide. He holds the majority in parliament. So why wouldn't he actually put and lay on the parliament's table and say, this is what the voice will look like 
so that not just politicians could see, but the Australian people could see. The fact he doesn't want to do that says that this is something that he, um, he's not prepared to, sh- to take the Australian people into his trust. This is permanent. So when you go and vote, you are voting on something that will be permanent. The next time that we can change it is we're going to have to go through this trauma again. And so this is why, um, un- unfortunately, we said to Albanese, both Dutt and I, and he, and he said, and he made public our, our private conversations in March, uh, where uh, we went and saw him and he asked us around, he told us what was in the question. But let me tell you what also came out of that conversation. And we don't, I don't normally talk about our private conversations, but he was prepared to do that and said what he, he told Peter Dutton and I but, and, and asked us to do. But what we also said to him was that, Prime Minister, this may not get up. And if it doesn't look like getting up, pull the pin on it. If this was about constitutional recognition, just make it about that. If you, if you are going to divide the country, don't go through with it. And that was in March... Uh, this year where we said to him last year sorry where we said to him mate look just take a deep breath don't go through with this if you're going to divide the country pull up he refused he said no he knew best Uh, and unfortunately um, Australians Australians have got every right and they shouldn't feel guilted about how they vote before or how they feel after it this is not a a new concept we've had a representative body before it was called ASIC and that has failed regional rural Australia and remote Australia. And we are doing the same thing as we did in the past. And that's why if it gets back to constitutional recognition and on the 15th, if it goes down, I can tell you the first words will be out of my mouth is that if he wants to start a proper process of constitutional recognition, the nationals will be there. And that proper process is not where just 250 Indigenous leaders get invited to to Uluru, invited, not everybody, just 250 Indigenous Australians get invited, but we have a constitutional convention where Indigenous Australians, no matter their beliefs, all get an invite, but every Australian gets an invite because this is every Australian's constitution. And so we would be part of that process. We'd be happy to be part of that process, be constructive in that process. Uh, So um, we won't be doing a victory lap if it goes down. Uh, but Australians shouldn't feel guilted. And the Prime Minister, all he has done in 16 months as Prime Minister has driven up everyone's cost of living and divided this country. And Shocking. that's an indictment on him. Shocking. It's an indictment on the Prime Minister. Uh, like, I get on well with Albo, but unfortunately, he's buggered this. He's, he's buggering the country unless he pulls up and understands that um, the Australian... Well, he's going to lose his job, what, what mate. He's going to lose his yeah. job, and the government will get rolled, and rightly so. That, w- w- I don't know why, and I mean, I'm not saying Scott Morrison did a dreadful job at the back end, and yeah. it, you know, and and he deserved to get rolled, he really did, and but the National Party and what Peter Dutton has done since he's been in office, um, it, it has been quite unbelievable. Um, so, you know, um, you know, like. I'm I'm not quite sure I'm not quite sure what's going on, um, you know. Like I really am not like you know w- with this government and how it goes. But I, I do know one thing is that we're in a worse position than what we were under an LNP government, and that's that's just well, and that, and that's the question Australians have to ask: Are they better off now than what they were seventeen months ago? We've got a government that was fix that's just been fixated on the voice on an ideological view. Yep. They've been ideological on your energy. They've been ideological and everything, uh, but are you better off or are you worse off? 
Um, yep, Scott Morrison, I've got to say, he was as popular as the pox. Yep. You've got to put your hand up and say he wasn't popular. He he got arrogant He is, and it got away from us. Uh, but, you know, I think Peter Dutton has shown the courage. I mean, it, I, I didn't think he'd get the Liberals to where the Nationals were in the voice. I didn't think he'd get the Liberals to where the Nationals were on, on a conversation on nuclear energy. Um, on things like that, he, he's actually followed us and followed us strongly. And Peter is convicted, and, and he mightn't be everyone's cup of tea, but when the country's in trouble, you need someone strong. And yeah. Peter Dutton is someone strong. And I've got to say, he is a genuine bloke, and if you do get to have a beer with him, he's a great bloke, but he doesn't get to do that with every Australian. But this country is in a bit of trouble, and I can tell you it's going to get a lot harder, and I can tell you if the voice goes down next weekend, um, no one will remember the voice by Christmas because they'll be too worried about how they pay for their Christmas ham. And then I can tell you by January, they'll, they'll be more worried about how they are able to afford the kids to go back to school. That is what, because you've got a government, a federal government that has lost all, all sight of what is important to the Australian people about what's been let out of their wallets, about sensible energy policy, not pumping more money in the economy that's driving up inflation, but pulling the economic levers that they can without spending a cent, but driving down inflation. But unfortunately, as we talked about with Labor, it's about the unions having control. Uh, the, the, the labour issue we've got is all because the unions are high up in the steer. They're running this show. You cannot have a meeting with a minister without without having a union official sitting next to them. And this is the problem we've got. And unfortunately, you change the government, you change the country, and we're changing the country. And we're getting to a juncture, not just on the voice or not ideological view. We're changing it on, uh, on an economic view where people are, are paying for it, and they're paying for it badly. Yeah, well said. I'm I'm concerned, David, and you're not scaremongering. I really am. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, family, mate. Good on you. David Little Proud. We're not in a great way. Uh, rural Queensland today. Welcome back. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Overall breakdown of Brahman Week. It was done and dusted yesterday. 836 bulls offered across three days. 748 sold. 89% clearance. Average of 10,416. Wow. Well done to Adam and Tracy Gunthorpe and, and Wallace. Uh, Tamarama Brahmins, banana. New sale top price, $120,000. Um, it was taken by Brian Harriman of Reedybrook Brahmins, Miller Miller. Well done. Earlier in the day, a bull uh, offered by the Mollahan family. Of Mountain Springs, Monto cracked a hundred thousand. It was knocked down to Rockamere family. Um, at uh, so well done at Gigaman uh, Brahman. So well done to those guys. There were some amazing results, and all in all, a very very good week of sales for the Brahman breed. Uh, there's no two ways. You can look at it either way you want, um, and you can have a look at and say whatever you think. But there was. Some phenomenal averages from the final day. At the fall of the hammer on Wednesday, 244 bulls sold for a clearance rate of 80%, 12,000 average on the reds. That bumped up the greys, and there were some huge results. Rockley Brahmins sold 16 bulls to average 23. Mountain Springs Monto sold four bulls to average 30. Cardona Red Brahmins, 21 bulls to average 19. I mean... That's huge, huge, a massive result 
for everybody involved. And well done to everybody who who was involved in it all. And we're extremely um, interested to see where it goes from. Brett Nobbs' sale not far away either now. So we'll try and get to Brett in the next couple of days um, as he talks to us about what is going on with his sale and there's a lot of Brahman sales at this moment. Um, let's look at the market report and we we know how difficult things are at the present moment. There's just there's just a real real difficult situation um, in the sense that you know this market is on a free fall at this present moment while the season changes. Now there was anywhere between an inch and two inches in southern New South Wales and Victoria yesterday, which is going to have an effect. And slow things down. Great for the grain growers uh, that will grow a bit more. But there was 2,767 head yarded at Dolby yesterday. Now, it was reduced by 1,500 head. And like I talked about earlier, there was a number of export processes were not there from buying. And there was also a reduced number of feeder operators and restockers in attendance. Would you ever thought I'd be talking about Dolby without processes there? That's because their kills are so full. They are full, and that goes back to what we were saying earlier with David Littleproud. Most classes sold to a cheaper market. However, the light to medium weight yielding steers returning to the paddock and feed, there was a little change. Heavyweight yielding steers to feed, again, went against the trend, 18 less. All classes of heifer received very little support and lost 4 to 9, up to 30 to 40 cents in places. Bullocks averaged 30 cents less. Cows sold to a cheaper market, 7 to 10. Lightweight yearling steers returning to the paddock made 268 to average 217. Yearling steers to feed for the domestic market averaged 236 to 246 and sold to 256. Heavyweight yearling steers to feed made 264. And a fair sample... Um, of heifers to feed averaged 131 to 157. A small section of bullocks made 200 cents to average 183. A handful of light plank cows made from 32 cents to 62. Cows to restockers 93 to 110. Medium weight score cows 130 to 146. Trevor Hess reporting and it, it, it was not good and I, I can't even try to I can't even try to tell you how, for everybody involved, people are concerned and you understand that, you know, obviously the market at the present moment is in no way or no shape at this present moment a good place. We will try and have a look at it and uh, we'll obviously pray for rain as we do a lot. We need rain throughout southern Queensland. We need to stop the flow. We need New South Wales to get some more rain. And if we can get that, well, things might just slow things down a fraction and we can see some price jumps. We'll take a break, come back. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin across rural Queensland today. Welcome back to rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. And um, look, from one topic where we were talking about, obviously, workers at abattoirs with David Littleproud to another one about trying to get our health system and some of the real challenges sorted in rural and remote Australia. Last week, um, the Remote Australians Matter conference took place 
uh, and it was led by Annabelle Braley. She joins us this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Good morning, and thanks so much for being with us, Annabelle. Morning, Dobbo. How are you? Really well. Um, firstly, um, congratulations. I mean, I talked to you some weeks ago about just uh, you having this conference and, and how, and I know Susan McDonald attended and I understand that it was a huge success and something that now you can go with to the government. Can you start us from the beginning and, and how this has worked and, and, and how and where you've got to? Well, for starters, last week in Charleville, yes, we had, um, we had a, a wonderful conference. Um, it was a resounding success, I have to say. Um, being an inaugural one, you sure. know, you never know, know for sure how something like this is going to turn out, but it really was um, an excellent uh, forum bringing together people from across remote Australia, um, some of the people who head some of the, you know, the, the most important um, teaching facilities in the country, um, some of the... Uh, most important organisations, for instance, the executive director of, of RFDS Australia, Frank Quinlan, was there. Um, Dan Halliday, who's the Dr. Dan Halliday, who's yep. the chair of um, ACRAM, um, and of course, people from who live in remote Australia. And it was I walked into the room on Wednesday when the net, when the uh, workshopping started. And there was such a vibe in the room. There is so much enthusiasm for community because this is community driven for community to actually get involved in the design and development of models that might um, provide equitable access to uh, a universal healthcare in, yeah. in remote Australia. As we discussed last time we spoke, there is no minimum standard of primary healthcare in remote Australia. And, and, Access is random. Um, it's definitely not equitable. So as a result of the conference, we've developed what we call the Charleville Charter, um, which is working towards having integrated community-based and led health service that, services that prioritise universal coverage for all remote Australians. And the conference identified five areas of, of um, priority interest and as we go forward with the workshops, we are actually working towards developing solutions with those topics in mind, but developing solutions that we can actually take to the government next year and say, look, you know, these are the problems, but, you know, we're not just here to whinge about this. We've actually got some solutions. And because we want to help, we want, want to make this really easy for government to say, okay, we can do that. We can fund that um, if we come up with solutions that will work. So... When we talk about those kind of things and, and, and some of the solutions, because we, we understand that we, we want to have a more sustainable, um, we want to be able to fill the gaps, we want to be able to make sure that people in remote and regional Australia matter and, and that, that, that they are not discriminated against by any means because they choose to live there. How do we, and, and this process, and you've started it, but how do you go from a conference where you've got five key points and elements, and then you go to government, and then you implement? That's that's the biggest challenge for me, how it's one thing to have all these stakeholders there, but the implementation of it so we can see some results. What's the process to get to that point now? Well, uh, the process for us at the moment, look, one of the things was that we had um, three presentations at the, at the conference, for instance, um, 
Malakuta Medical Centre, which 10 years ago was in dire threat of losing their own GP, is now a really vibrant model that the community is very much involved in the execution of. Um, we also had uh, presentations from the CEO, June Councillor, who's the CEO of Wirreka Mayor, which is one of the Aboriginal Health Corporation services in Port Hedland in Western Australia. And also Cheryl Lawton, who is, has for 30 years has been the CEO of Quatsic, which is the Charleville and Western Area's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community health in southwest Queensland. Now, these are successful models that are already working. And so from here, I think the um, the way forward is, for starters, that we, we need to have these conversations. We've established the work, working groups. We need to have these conversations that actually um, the communities have the opportunity to get involved in what would work in their community. So that needs to be established first. You know, the process, um, while we don't exactly have the process in place, we are working on that as we move forward. Sure. And the more remote Australians we can get involved in that, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the more effective that will be because we're not actually saying this is what anyone needs to do or this is what you should do or this is the model for you because different communities and different areas are going to need different things. But one of the reasons we had the presentations there was because there are some really good models already out there. So it could be as easy as, well, no, none of this is going to be easy, but it could be as simple because we don't want to make this complicated. It could be as simple as saying, that service, for instance, that we're in, we're at Kamea, um, we like what they're doing, and we'd like to do something here. Or it could be as simple as, can we put more, gov uh, you know, more funding into a service, expand a service, so it can actually um, uh, include and de and deliver more service. It, it, it's that's a hard answer, to, uh, sorry, hard question to answer, Ben, because it will be different things to different people different in different areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what that. What we, yeah. With the forum um, and as we move forward with Remote Australian Matters, what we're hoping to do is um, connect people and connect more people so that they can get involved in, in that process in their particular area. And, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do at this conference was actually connect people. So everybody who was there um, has, you know, has, established a network now that includes all of those people I mentioned, for instance, like the ED of RFDS and the, and the, the president of the Rural Doctors Association and and, and the CEO of Wirreka Mayor and the CEO of, of um, Kotsik Chichalo, so that those people at this point in time, for instance, if they've got a question about how to go forward, they can actually contact that person directly. The flip side of that is all of those people also now, particularly those people who were more from an academic and, and um, urban-based education um, area, they have contact now with all these remote Australians who can actually feed back to them real lived experience, etc. So I think between us, we have a, a really viable opportunity to, as I said, help communities to design and develop uh, models that they think would suit their community and then give them the pathways to take that to to government and offer solutions. It's very easy to, you know, sit anywhere and whinge about what's not happening, but we're actually talking about delivering um, solutions. 
that make it easy for the government to support. Well, I'm the just so pleased that it, I'm just so pleased that it's happened. That's what I'm pleased, and that you've got a start point now. So, what can people do? How do people help? How do people get involved? Um, what happens from now? Okay, so first of all, um, anyone who lives in remote Australia, which is we discussed before, MMM six and seven, um, the modified Monash model. Easy to find out where, which zone you're in, um, or they can contact us on remote Australians Matter. Dot, uh, sorry, remote Australians Matter at gmail.com, or we have a Facebook page uh, that's a group again, Remote Australians Matter. Um, we need people to who live in remote areas to actually join that group. Yeah. There are questions when they join. I would say please answer the questions because we need to know where people actually live. We need to know why they want to get involved in this group. We're very keen that um, this is a proactive group. It's not a place to come and whinge about what you know what's happening to you personally or etc. This is a place to get involved in um, a process that will will help us improve access to primary health care in remote Australia. Yeah, I um, I think this is phenomenal. Appreciate your time this morning and thank you so much for being with us. Ben, I have to say thank you so much for your interest. I do really appreciate it and I do know how interested you are, genuinely interested you are yeah. in remote Australia. It's so, so important. thanks for that. It's so important. Yeah, Annabelle Braley, really appreciate your time. Remote Australia Matter Facebook page and the email is there attached to it so you please go on, like it, follow it. If you live it matters. You need to follow this Facebook page, and that's the beginning. Uh, Annabelle Braley joining us this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. Uh, Bill McDonald joins you next. Have a great day. And from all the team here at Rural Queensland Today, stay safe on the roads. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am. Appreciate all your support. Remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Till next time, from all the team here at Rural Queensland Today, It's bye for now.